Welcome to the Colonial Department, the podcast where we take long-lost stories from Philippine colonial history and bring them to life. In the upcoming show, we revisit that brief time in the late 1700s when Manila became the center of a fur trade that stretched from the Tsing Court to the California coast. This is Episode 10, You Otter Get Rich in Manila. In the midst of the Modoc people, who made their home in what is now the border between California and Oregon, the chief of the sky spirits lived in a place they called the above world. For the home of a divine being, it was actually quite an unpleasant place to live. The sky spirit's world was lashed eternally by snow and ice, and he went about his days shivering in the bitter cold. One day, he finally had enough. Taking a piece of rock, he carved a massive hole into the sky like an ice cutter using a chainsaw on the frozen surface of a lake. Through the hole, he dumped as much snow and ice from the above world as he could until it formed a volcanic mountain that is marked in maps now as Mount Shasta. Taking up a walking stick, the sky spirit leapt down from the above world and onto a cloud. From the cloud, he stepped onto the peak of the mountain, then walked down Mount Shasta and into the warm, waiting world. The footsteps he left on the icy mountain turned into water and became the rivers of the world. The earth he touched with his finger spouted a tree. The leaves he blew on became birds. And then, taking up his walking stick, the sky spirit broke his staff into two unequal pieces. The big piece birthed the great animals of the wild, including the grizzly bears. The small piece he crumbled and threw into the water, and they became the fish of the sea, and the beavers, and the otter. The otter a small, lively, waterborne mammal with a snub-nosed face exists in every continent except Australia and Antarctica, and figures in the myths of many people around the world. In other Native American stories, otter skins are used to take on a deceptive new form, or are prized and revered as trophies. Among the Norse people, the trickster god Loki killed an otter with a fling of a stone only to later find out that it was actually a shape-shifting dwarf. In the legends of the Ainu people, the original inhabitants of Japan, the otter was a lackadaisical figure, indirectly responsible for all the follies of man. For a small brief period in the late 1700s, almost 10,000 otter furs were shipped to Manila. Almost an equal number were warehoused in Macau, the source of these otters? The bays and coves of the Pacific United States near the ancient homeland of the Modak people. The bustling, humid, tropical port city of the Philippines became the flashpoint of a cross-Pacific trade that stretched from the jade courts of the Tsing dynasty to the wooden lodges of Native American tribes, all centered 
around one of the most highly coveted commodities of the colonial age. A magazine illustration from the mid-1800s shows how hunters killed scores of these semi-aquatic animals. Perched on the shore, they shot at packs with guns. To better preserve their fur, some of them would also use traps made of wood or iron or woven fibers, or they would use nets, spears, arrows, and darts. Otters are large animals that eat up to 30% of their weight, scarfing on shellfish and sea urchins. The largest of specimens can go up to 100 pounds. Their pelts, a double wall of dense, waterproof fur, lined the many, many elaborate winter robes and garments of the Manchu ruling class of the Tsing dynasty, which is color-coded according to very strict rules. Yellow was reserved for the royal family, blue for princes and noblemen, and brown for court officials. For European empires greedily gobbling up the rest of the world, there was much money to be made in the otter fur trade. The Russians, who had launched expeditions into what is now Alaska and Canada, quickly staked a giant, bloody claim on the global enterprise, enslaving or terrorizing the indigenous Aleutian people to do their dirty work. The Russians began loading their ships with skinned otter corpses. The Spanish Empire soon followed Moscow's lead. But while the Russians and other Europeans traded for coins, tea, or porcelain, the Spaniards were primarily interested in just one thing, mercury. In the Spanish mines of the New World, mercury, or quicksilver, as it is more romantically known, was mixed with crushed ore. The quicksilver would then stick to gold or silver, forming an amalgam. Miners would burn away the mercury over an open fire, leaving only nuggets of the precious metal behind. It was a dangerous, noxious affair, but an extremely quick way to mine silver if you didn't care that you were slowly killing your miners or poisoning the environment. To keep those silver mines going, the Spaniards needed a constant supply of mercury. And so, in 1786, a plan was hatched to trade otter furs to China in exchange for quicksilver. The mastermind behind the plan was a man named Don Vicente Vasadre y Vega. To support their missions and presidios in their Californian frontier, Spain sent supply ships from the port of San Blas located in what is now the state of Nayarit in Mexico. Vasadre suggested, instead of returning to sunblast empty-handed, what if they returned loaded with otter pelts? California was full of the animals, lounging about in coves and bays from San Francisco to Cabo San Lucas. What if those otter pelts could be transported to Manila and from there sold in China for mercury? And then that mercury could be shipped to the Mexican mines, which would churn out more silver to buy even more Chinese goods for the galleon trade between Acapulco and Manila. Fur for quicksilver for even more silver. This was the Vasadre equation. The Viceroy of Nueva España enthusiastically approved the plan.
Arriving on board one of the Sun Blast supply ships, Vasadres spent three months in California, laying the groundwork for the America-Manila-China fur trade. As was typical of imperial economic policy at the time, Vasadre held an exclusive monopoly of the entire enterprise. His official suppliers? Franciscan missionaries who ordered their neophytes, most of them Indian converts, to collect the pelts which they would turn over to Vasadre for fixed prices. These friars became the unlikely stewards of Spain's California fur trade. In an effort worthy of a stockholder's quarterly financial report, Vasadre gathered up more than a thousand pelts in his three-month stay. It was an astounding victory lap for the Royal Commissioner. In June 1896, the frigate San Francisco, a nicely Californian name, sailed from Manila to China with a cargo of sea otter pelts. Vasadre had closed his first deal. The next year, Vasadre himself came to deliver the pelts. With the route from San Blas to Puget Sound to Manila to Canton now formalized, he made a quick stop over in the Philippines before arriving in style in the waterfronts of the city. Like a savvy salesman of luxury goods, he spent lavishly in Canton's high society until he was able to offload all of his stock. Merchants in Manila were not pleased. For almost two centuries, Manila's colonial economy had been defined by two words, two cities, and two ships. The galleon trade sailed out twice from Manila, going to Acapulco with heaving, often overloaded holds, carrying silk, cotton, carpets, cinnamon, pepper, camphor, civet, furniture, delicate metalwork, carved religious images made out of ivory, Asian foods and plants like tea, rice, mangoes, and orchids. Sometimes, these ships also carried slaves. Only around 10% of the galleons were filled with products from the Philippines. The rest came from the marketplaces of Asia, all pouring into the bustling port metropolis of Manila. The galleons sailed back from Acapulco, mostly packed with minted silver coins, which would become the glittering bedrock of Chinese cash. Other Nueva Espanyan products also traveled back to Manila, like corn or cocoa or cassock fryers. It was a tightly regulated enterprise, with a heavy thumb of Spanish policy actually pressing the trade down to a bare minimum. Fearful the Chinese textiles from Manila would overrun the silk business in Andalusia and that the lucrative trade would empty out all the silver in America. In January 1593, the empire set hard limits on the maximum tonnage, the maximum amount of voyages, and the cities that could engage the trade. In effect, it became a heavily subsidized state-run business for the next 200 years. It was rife with favoritism, legal loopholes, and lots of shady practices. It also made the people running it a lot of money. Scholars estimate a 100 to 300% profit on every shipment. So understandably, 
the galleon merchants were not too happy about this grubby fur trader muscling in on their territory. Vasadre also soon began to run into problems with the supply side. If the Franciscans showed him a skin that was brown and untreated, and just three quarters of a vara in size, he'd pay two pesos for it. If the Franciscans showed him one that was one and one-fourth of a vara long, black in color, and cured correctly, his buying price would shoot up to 10 pesos. Just for comparison, a Spanish teniente in the infantry back in the 1800s earned around 300 to 600 pesos a year according to a table of wages from colonial Venezuela. In effect, a good quality pelt could get you about a week's worth of salary. It seemed like a fair deal for the missionaries. Unfortunately, Vasadre began to lag behind in his payments to the friars. Spanish bureaucrats in the Royal Audiencia felt he was paying too much. The Franciscans, of course, begged to differ. Besides, they were having trouble holding on to their monopoly as soldiers and civilians alike tried to get in on the fur trade action, often seizing them outright from Native Americans and then claiming to the friars that they had hunted the fur themselves. Delayed payments, rising expenses, domestic troubles. For the Franciscans, the fur trade was becoming more trouble than it was worth. But the biggest roadblock to Vasadre's big plan ended up being the Philippine merchants and the Spanish bureaucracy who sided with the businessmen in Manila. After just four years, the Royal Audiencia ordered Vasadre to shut his operation down and go home to Spain. The Philippine company's monopoly on the China trade would be upheld. By that time though, Vasadre had succeeded in shipping 9,729 furs to Manila. Even after his business was halted, furs still trickled in, mostly from a Spanish claim further up north in the heavily contested Nootka Sound in what is now called Vancouver Island in British Columbia. By 1792, a Spanish naturalist found the skins of 4,000 dead otters still languishing unsold in Manila warehouses, gathering dust in the tropical heat. Long after the last ship in the monopolistic galleon trade sailed into the sunset in 1815, the worldwide trade in otter furs continued unabated. As the rapidly expanding United States swallowed up California and the rest of the Pacific Northwest, skins gathered up by trappers and hunters made their way to the luxury marketplaces of London and Moscow. With their numbers dwindling, one otter pelt could fetch $1,700 in 1910. By the early 20th century, Pacific sea otters were facing near-total extinction in many areas where they had once thrived. But conservationists rallied to protect the species. In 1911, sea otters were included in a treaty signed by four nations, the US, Great Britain, Russia, and Japan, called the International Fur Seal Treaty. In 1913, an Alaskan refuge was set up for these creatures, 
and in that same year, California banned the killing of sea otters. Throughout the 20th century, otter numbers began to slowly recover, though they remain far below what they were before the great hunts of the 18th and 19th centuries. In May 30, 2020, six small sea otters were spotted in the island of Taganak in the province of Tawi-Tawi in Mindanao. Initially, they were thought to belong to a species of small clawed Asian otters already found in Palawan. But several biologists, including the Philippines' only internationally accredited otter specialist, believe that this is a species that has never been spotted before in the country. As this expert said in an interview with Rappler, I got even more excited because it's really different, meaning it's another record for otters in the Philippines. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Colonial Department. I used many references to create this episode, and I'll only cite the major ones here. Visit The Colonial Department on Instagram for the full list. The Tale of the Sky Spirit is taken from the story When Grizzlies Walked Upright, from the book American Indian Myths and Legends, selected and edited by Richard Erdos and Alfonso Ortiz, and published by Pantheon Books in 1984. The details of Vasadris' fur trade come from four major sources. Number one, the book After the Galleons, Foreign Trade, Economic Change, and Entrepreneurship in the 19th Century Philippines, written by Benito Legarda and published by the Ateneo de Manila University Press in 1999. Number two, the article Sea Otters and Iron, A Global Microhistory of Value and Exchange at Nootka Sound, 1774 to 1792, written by Maxine Berg and published in the journal Past and Present in 2019. Number three, the book The Economic Aspects of the California Missions, written by Robert Archibald, published by the Academy of American Franciscan History in 1978. Number four, the article The Battle of San Diego, written by Millard F. Hudson and published in 1907 by the Historical Society of Southern California. Legarda's book also talked at length about the monopoly of the galleon trade. The chapter on fur trade and empires, published in the online book Canadian History Pre-Confederation by John Douglas Belso, provided more background info on the fur trade. Richard Ravalli's article, The Near Extinction and Reemergence of the Pacific Sea Otter, 1850-1938, which was published in 2009 in the Pacific Northwest Quarterly, provided information on the near extinction and eventual recovery of sea otter numbers. The Colonial Department was created and produced by Leo Mangubat. Follow us on Instagram at The Colonial Department. <laughs>